Amen. All right, we are on board. We're moving forward together. I'm going to read for you the first three verses of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. This should be on the screen. Yes, my phone is staying connected. It's not disconnected. That often seems to happen. And we're going to get this started. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Say he's blessed us. All right, you're still with me. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Say every spiritual blessing. All right, very good. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. There we go. All right, friends, I've been listening to a podcast the past couple weeks, and in the introduction to the podcast, uh, it keeps repeating this uh, guy in a rather obnoxious way. He's kind of yelling out, who do you think you are? He, he actually includes several expletives in that, but I, I, I've kind of been hearing it so often, who do you think you are? As obnoxious as it sounds, the way he says it, I'm like, it is a good question, though. Uh, uh, who, who, who do you think you are? Who do you think that you are? It has also been said that who we think we are, what we believe to be true about ourselves, whether it's true or not, will often and in many ways come to pass. On the negative side of this, I think of the people that I've known and that I've loved who have suffered with eating disorders. And statistically, even a small gathering like ours, some of us know or have ourselves struggled with eating disorders. Somebody with a deep-set eating disorder will believe the truth about themselves is that they are overweight, and no matter how much weight they lose through diet or exercise, even getting to an unhealthy place, what they believe to be true about themselves will keep coming to pass as much as we protest or try to intervene and so often try to them. On the positive side, of course, we know, and I'm not insinuating some kind of like power of positive thinking that simply manifests itself and makes things all come to pass, but if we believe that we have what it takes to pass the test and we apply ourselves, we often pass the test. If we believe we deserve the job and put our best foot forward, many times we get the job. Or perhaps we could say in maybe a less selfish way, if we believe that today, we could be a blessing to somebody. We could share a word of encouragement. We could, we could touch their li life in some way. We could do something to the glory of God and impact a life. Well, often that itself will come to pass. What we believe about ourselves will become truth in, in, in many ways. Here's a fun exercise. Uh, you imagine yourself, you're going to uh, an event and you go to the registration table and you see the little stickers there and the sticker says, hello, I am. But the instructions given to you are you can say whatever you want about yourself, but you just can't put your name. How would you identify yourself? What would you say about yourself? Maybe you would say, I'm, hi, hello, I am a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a servant. I am the keeper of the sacred mysteries. By the way, that is, and I will say it often, my favorite title for me, the keeper 
of the sacred mysteries. And we will be celebrating one of the sacred mysteries later in today's service. I hope you got your communion cup. Maybe you would say some accomplishment. I finished the Breck Epic. I warned you I'm going to bring that up every chance I can for the next year of my life. Maybe you would say something about um, a role or a relationship that you have. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. I'm a neighbor. We identify ourselves in many positive ways, but maybe you're in a season or again in that place where you might have weighing on you a more negative understanding or identity about yourself. Uh, I'm unemployed. I'm struggling with depression. I'm in the midst of a separation. And these things can weigh heavy on our hearts. These things that identify us, how we identify ourselves again, this has everything to do with Ephesians and our going through this book. This book is very much about identity and purpose. How are you identifying yourself? And in that identity, what do you believe to be your purpose, your calling in life? That is a, our mission here at Connections. We want to help people to connect with our calling, we believe that God has an identity and a call over every man and woman, child, young and old, over all of us, a calling on and for our lives. In the book of Ephesians, we are going to learn that it boils down to this. It is this profound and yet this simple. Our identity is found in our union with Jesus Christ. And more than 25 times, Paul is going to talk about what we have in union in Jesus Christ. In Christ is our hope. In Christ is our salvation. In Christ you have a future. In Christ you have life. It all happens in and through our abiding relationship, the mysterious union that the believer has with Jesus Christ. And then in Jesus Christ, we have unity together as the body of Christ, as the family of God as the temple, as a holy dwelling, as a soldier fitted for spiritual warfare. We have many, many ways that this is teased out and illustrated for us, but all of it is pointing us over and over again. The first three chapters are going to dig down deep into the blessing we have in union with Jesus Christ. The last chapters are going to tease that out through our unity as the body of Christ. But make no mistake, you cannot put, here's what's so interesting about Ephesians and what's being laid out theologically for us. This is a situation where you cannot put the proverbial cart before the horse. We can have no unity until we have union with Jesus Christ, right? We can have no unity until we have union in Jesus Christ. We have to get our union with Christ set and secure to know who we are in Jesus Christ. But once I put my life in Jesus Christ and Tim puts his life in Jesus Christ, whether we want to or not, whether we like each other or not, we are united in Jesus Christ. And therein is the foundation of our Unity. I was thinking this morning while we were getting, amen, sister, I love it. I was thinking this morning as we were getting ready for the service. Chris Alate is in the back. Can we just thank Chris Alate for all he does for getting our media, our on stream, our sound. And his friend Willie is here too. Willie's in the back there. Willie, great to see you. Willie just got in from Chile. Um, Chris was one of the first guys I met actually when I moved to Denver. 
Chris had just uh, married Sarah Latte, and we've recently celebrated uh, Tomas, and you've seen him running around, and they're expecting another, and we're going to have a big celebration. I don't think I'm spilling any beans on that. We're going to have a baby shower and celebrate uh, the birth of another child here. Woohoo! Great things happening. Amen and amen. There's another couple that's pregnant. I can't say who that is yet. Can't wait to reveal that. Um, I know, just teasing everybody, right, as the pastor. Um, what, 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 what business do Chris and I have together? He speaks a different language. He plays rugby. I don't even know what that game is. He listens to like this music I've never heard of from Chile. I, I mean, what business would we ever have being together? And yet we've been together now for years and have formed a bond. And that bond could never or would never come from the world and all the things that would separate us and divide us. But in Christ, he has truly been and continues to be one of my greatest friends and, and, and brothers in Christ in so many beautiful ways. That only happens through Christ and our union with him and the unity we have together in Christ. Such that people that would never encounter feel bonded together can feel the spiritual bond and the spiritual blessing of unity in Christ. Let me, let me put it this way. I told this joke, actually, in, in the Psalms passing, and I tell it to you now. It's, it's a great joke. So a guy, he's sent off to prison, spending his first night in prison, gets into his cell. They shut the doors. I thought this joke kind of fit because this is one of Paul's prison letters, which we're going to get into in a second. Uh, and then the lights go out, and it's all silent. And then all of a sudden, in the silence, in the darkness, he hears somebody yell out, 23! And everybody starts cracking up. I mean, they're just howling. I mean, they're just like, they think that's the greatest thing they've ever heard. And then it kind of settles down, and it's all quiet. And then a couple minutes later, another guy yells out, 51! And everybody's like, whoa, you know, kind of like, oh, I get it. Kind of, a, you know, I get what's going on here. Well, he has no idea what's going on here. So, so he leans over to the bunk and says, says, what's happening here? And he says, well, most of us have been here so long. Uh, we've heard every joke so many times. Instead of just telling the whole joke, we decided just to number them. And then when we want to hear the joke, we just call out the number and we remember the joke and we all have a good laugh. The guy says, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll give it a try. Eleven. Dead silence. He looks down at the guy. He says, what's happening? He says, Somebody just can't tell a joke. <laughs> ah, so here's the point of that bad joke. Several weeks from now, when we're wrapping up Ephesians, I want to get up here and I want to say, you have every spiritual blessing by your union with Jesus Christ. And you'll say, ah. And you'll remember all of this stuff that Paul is going to teach us about what we have through union with Jesus Christ. I'll get up here and I'll say, we have unity together in Jesus Christ. And you'll say, ah, I now remember everything that binds us now together as the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the family of God, this holy dwelling and all of the blessing therein. I want to just pack our union and our unity with so much meaning that anytime we need to be reminded, we just mention those terms. Remember your union in Christ. Remember we are united in Christ. And then we'll be on the same page and we can move together forward 
and mission. Get it? Make sense? That's what we're going to do. That's what the next couple weeks you're going to be unpacking, and we're just going to dive right into it right now. The letter begins, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Robin started her Bible study with the women here at the church, and I didn't get to see the introduction, but she shared with me as part of the introduction, Jen Wilkins did a great job outlining when you come to a book or a letter, you don't just kind of go to the middle and pull something up and out of context and expect to get anything from it. No, you take time to know. If you get a letter from the mail, you take a moment to see who it is addressed to because it is, isn't addressed to you and you open it, you will spend 10 to 15 in prison, my dear friends. They will come and haul you away, or I think, so I'm told, it's some federal violation apparently to open mail that doesn't belong to you. No, you're going to see who is this to? Who is it from? A letter from your lover is going to be received very differently from a letter from the IRS or from a letter from your car dealer telling you your extended warranty is about to expire. Yet again, every week it's about to expire. No, you're going to approach it differently depending on who it's from, who it's to. You're going to take the time to pour over it and understand it. That's why we're going verse by verse, kind of movement by movement through Ephesians so we can get everything out of this letter that there is to get from it. And there is much to get from it. And so we begin by just recognizing this is coming from Paul. And Paul is no stranger to the Ephesians. Paul's had a long and rich and deep history and mission with and ministry to the people, the church there in Ephesus and the surrounding region. But it's not just Paul, not just a stranger, not just this guy who has this intimate knowledge of them. He reminds them that this is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That is part of his identity. One sent by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be an apostle, someone who carries the good news of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now, that's very important, too. Last week, in talking about my words to live by Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, we got a bit into knowing the will of God, the good, pleasing, and perfect will. I hope we're all praying that, we're all seeking that, we're all trying to do that. We can know and do the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And we talked about that sovereign will of God. And it's kind of uh, what I was calling the sanctifying will of God. That was very much about this sanctifying will of God, that we will choose to will with God, to, lo excuse me, to love him, to love our neighbor, uh, to be a part of worship, to be generous, to be caring, to be serving, all of these things that God wants us to will along with him. This is very much about the sovereign will of God. This is the will of God that will be done because the will of God was done in Paul's life. Because before Paul was Paul, let's just remember that he was Saul. And Saul had a great pedigree. He had a great set of credentials. In Corinthians, we actually have a chapter that lists what he would have put on the hello, I am a Jew amongst Jews, an Israelite amongst Israelites of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, well, pretty much better than all y'all Pharisees. As far as Pharisees were going, I was knocking it out of the park. My list of pedigree and credentials was extensive. This was who he was. This is what he was doing. Actually, because of who he was, what he was doing was actually trying to kill the church. He was persecuting the church. 
is overseeing the effort to try and wipe out the followers of Jesus Christ. He thought he was doing that to honor God, but by the will of God, he was changed. He was transformed. He was actually struck over, knocked down, turned blind, and called. So when Paul says he is called by the will of God, let's just praise God for a moment that God's will will be done. And that is of incredible comfort for the follower of Jesus Christ. It might be of great consternation for the person who doesn't want anything to do with God, but for those of us that are willing to step in relationship and move forward with God, oh, that his will will be done, that he can take somebody persecuting the church to trying and plant churches, to somebody going in the opposite direction of God, to walking with God, that he can take somebody who is greedy and turn their heart to generosity, somebody who is selfish and try and turn that and turns them to somebody who is selfless. He can take somebody who is blind and give them eyes, who is sick and make them well, who is in prison and set them free. Oh, that we know that God's will will be done is of incredible comfort and confidence for the Christ follower. So this is coming from Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the very will of God to the church and the believers in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. Now, Ephesus, we don't have to unpack too much about this because this will become more and more relevant as we move forward in the coming weeks. But Ephesus is going to be just kind of one of the big five. You know, you got Rome, you got Athens and Corinth, uh, you got Alexandria, you got Antioch, you got Ephesus. Ephesus is a major city, a major port, a lot of things happening here. And Paul has had a lot of interaction there. Uh, we actually have about as much information on the church and in Ephesus that we have about any other city, any other ministry in the time of the New Testament. We know that Paul went through there on his second missionary journey and the church had already been established. We know that uh, they were followers of John the Baptist, but he told them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is teased out for us in the book of Acts. It's quite amazing. We know that he swung back around on his third missionary journey and ends up spending almost three years there. It was such a central place and he could do so much many out of and with the people in Ephesus that he stayed there for a long time. We know that later then in Acts, we have this kind of this beautiful parting that he has this meeting uh, with some people from Ephesus and he's pretty convinced he's never going to see them again. So they have this kind of tearful goodbye. And then we have this letter that he writes from a prison in Rome, pretty much confirming, I will never see you again <laughs> face to face this side of glory before we're all together in Christ's return. But here's what else I want you to know about Ephesians as we dive into this a little bit deeper now today. The occasion for him writing that is not that there was some crisis or heretical teaching or something awful that he had to encounter or something bad happening in Ephesians. This is in many unique ways simply a letter of love, a letter of encouragement to my people, <laughs> to my family my brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus. Let me just remind you of the union that we have in Jesus Christ and the unity that we then share together. There's a beauty then in this love letter that Paul writes to his friends, his family, 
the people of God in, in, in Ephesus. So, so he writes them. So this is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the people in Ephesus. But what is so important to understand here right now, what I love is that he writes them to the God's holy people, Hagios. But I like the old NIV better. Uh, or the ESV, or the KJV, or actually just about any other translation, you're going to see that he is writing to the, anybody know, I've mentioned it before, to the saints, to the saints in Ephesus. You're going to have to pardon me for just preaching and teaching and leading on this again. I can't get over it. I'm just kind of stuck on this. Because every time I open one of Paul's letters or the other letters in the New Testament, I keep reading to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Philippi and Colossae and Ephesus, to the saints listed in Hebrews, to the saints in Jude, to the saints. Paul is identifying us. God is identifying us. We need to begin identifying us and ourselves as saints. And so I'm making the call right here, right now. Henceforth, for this series, we will be addressing one another as the Saints of Connections Church. Y'all on board with that? Y'all excited about this? No. All right. One guy's clapping and he grew up Catholic. So he's all about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm all about this. St. George, the Dragon Slayer. I, I mean, I got like the best one by the way, but I am having fun, but I'm not kidding. St. Robert, good to see you. St. Ed, St. Cheryl, St. Barb. It sounds kind of funny, I know. It can make us a little uncomfortable. So here's our time and our place to get a little bit more comfortable with our identity and our identity when we are united in Christ is we no longer stand in our own righteousness, our own merits, our own accomplishment, our own pedigree, our own degrees, our own titles. We stand in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ, if there ever was a saint. We stand in him and therein lies our sainthood. And so we affirm that in one another. And we need to begin affirming that in ourselves. We are God's saints, called and sent in mission on his behalf. It's who we are. It's what we do. We're saints. I've done this before. I'm going to do it again because uh, we have a lot of new, new, new folks here. I'm going to encourage you to do this exercise sometime. Go ahead and take a Sharpie. Pull it out. And I want you to write sinner on the back of your hand or on your wrist. I'm going to go ahead and do it so you know you kind of see it happening here. Sinner. Pretty easy for me to write because instinctively, naturally, when I said I want to write sinner on my hand, I took my dominant hand and I wrote it on my non-dominant hand. It came natural. What we know about the natural state in our humanity is that we are born into sin and left to our own devices, we will be stuck in that state forever. But if I tell you then to write saint on your other hand, you have to take your non-dominant hand, and it's awkward, but you can do it, and it looks like a child, and that's kind of the point, but I can with effort, don't Rush me. I can write saint on that hand. And then I can be reminded 
that not through my own work, but through the work of Jesus Christ, through his effort, through his blood poured out on the cross, by standing in him now, I can be marked by his righteousness and his holiness. I can be reminded that in my natural state, I would be stuck in my sin, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, I now bear the marks of a saint known and called in the mission for Jesus Christ. Amen, friends? This is who we are. It is what we do. So this is the foundation that Paul is laying for us in Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful. And then what are his first words to them? You gotta love this. What are his first words to the people in Ephesus? Grace and peace to you. Oh, friends, may our first word to one another always be grace. And if we have to keep talking, <laughs> may it then be peace. <laughs> Sometimes it's good just to stop talking after the first word, though. Grace to you. Oh, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because we are now saints and have unity in him. Oh, this is who we are. This is identity. This is our foundation. Let us never stray too far from the wonderful gift of grace poured out on us. And because of that grace, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Grace and peace peace to us. And I love what happens here. I just got a little curious. I said, hmm, he starts with grace. I'm going to see where he ends. I have a sneaky suspicion. And you can turn there on your own whenever you want. Chapter 6, the last verse, he ends with grace. He begins with grace. He ends with grace. And everything in between is grace, grace, grace all over the place because that's what it is all about. Grace all over the place, in Ephesians and in our lives. Grace and peace to you. That's only the first two verses, and I've cut things out, believe it or not. But I did promise you I would get through at least three verses today, or I'm promising you that right now. And friends, after the foundation is laid, we will pick up the pace a little bit. We won't be in this book for too many years. Um, but let me point you to where we are going to go in the weeks to come. Obviously, I'm trying to whet your appetite, give you a taste, and draw you back in for this study. He does the traditional greeting thing. He says who it's from and who it's going to. And starting in chapter 3, what all your study Bibles are going to tell you, and it's a good thing, it's a wonderful thing that they do, they're going to tell you that the next 12 verses, 3 through 14, as one long, elegant, elaborate, incredible sentence of doxology, of praise, of glory to God through the work of Jesus Christ applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit to bind us with Christ and draw us together in unity. Ooh, I'm trying to say that all in one breath because he's going to say all of that in one sentence for us because he wants it to hold together. He wants to give us some credit he wants to believe that we are bright enough, we're smart enough, we're tuned in enough that we can deal with some deeper stuff and hold it all together. And that's exactly what we're going to do next week. We're going to hold this together and dive deep. But what he sets the stage with is that we are going to have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Jesus Christ, our Savior. If there is a blessing to be had, it is had in Jesus Christ, and all blessings to be had are ours through 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we know, as we call on him as Lord and Savior, offered to his followers and offers to us every spiritual blessing. He amassed a following. He taught and preached with authority. He performed miracles. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the masses. He set captives free. When things were just starting to peak, he started to turn towards the message of the cross and his death. But it wasn't just going to be a purposeless or meaningless death. That it was going to be an atoning death. The lamb sacrificed for the sins of mankind on the cross, paying the price. It was a hard message to hear. He, he even, right the night before, he, he turns to the Passover and he begins saying crazy things like it's all been pointing to me all along as I'm about to die for your sins and my blood is going to be shed. My body is going to be broken. We're going to celebrate that in just a few moments together. And people abandoned him and they left him and he died on the cross. And, and, and it would have been done. It would have absolutely been done. And we would not be here. And nobody would be calling themselves Christians. Who knows where we would be and what we would be doing. But miracle of miracles. Because of his resurrection. Because he came back to life and appeared to people. He verified everything he was saying about himself. And the movement began to take off in ways it never had before. And here we are. The resurrection is, in a sense, the exclamation mark on the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. But he drove it home in his ascension, where he is seated now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And this isn't just some passing trivia that we read about in the scriptures. This is foundational to our hope and who we are and what's happening and what will happen is that because Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, we have the seal and the assurance of the Holy Spirit that he is coming again for us. But it is there in the heavenly realms where he is able then to bestow on all of us every spiritual blessing. I love how some of the translations will put it, he has lavished on us. Say lavished. I just wanted to make sure you're still with me and haven't fallen asleep yet. Lavished on us. It's a great word, isn't it? Every spiritual blessing. I uh, mentioned that my daughter, Karis, is on a plane now uh, to head back for a mission with YWAM. After the first leg of her journey, she came home and she gave me a journal that she had been keeping wherein she tells me I'm the best dad ever and a great preacher and she loves me. And I, no, I, so um, she is incredibly kind and gracious and uh, flatters me in ways I don't deserve. And um, I love what she included in this. It's an old, it's old enough to be faded now. How old am I? Mercy. It's an old Polaroid picture of me and Karis and a monkey. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you the story for just a moment about this story, about what happened here. Uh, I was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Lenore, North Carolina, and uh, a traveling circus came through town, and they said, we would love to uh, put a little poster and some flyers up on your church bulletin board, 
Uh, and, and to do so, we will give you a free ticket for your family to come to the circus. And I said, this is the Lord's house. I cannot be bought. And no, I said, sure, that's saying. I mean, <laughs> circus is great. <laughs> give me the poster. I think a lot of families will want to go to the circus. So I took the poster. I took the ticket. We had worship that Sunday. And then Robin stayed at home with Justin, who was just an infant. And me and Eden and Karis went off to the circus. And it was hot. It was just one of the hottest days under that big tent that you can ever imagine. I mean, just, just, just so, so incredibly hot. And these people put on a show that was amazing. In my memory, it was the greatest show on earth. I mean, it was just so, so good. And I just had this sense of like, I am going to try and bless these people and bless my children in any way possible. And I just decided I am going to bless them until I literally have no money left in my wallet and they came by with cokes and we bought cokes and they came by with cotton candy and we bought cotton candy and they came by with coloring books and we bought coloring books and they came by with little things that spun and lit up and I just said I'm just I'm gonna say yes I'm yes man today this is gonna be awesome and then they came by with a monkey <laughs> and they said you can get your picture taken with this monkey for five dollars and Eden looked at me and Eden who is too smart for her own good said I don't know what that monkey's gonna do without saying a word there's no way I'm getting close to that monkey forget that <laughs> and then I looked over at Karis and Karis who is so different said oh I want to meet that monkey <laughs> And we went down and I gave the lady five bucks and Karis and I met the monkey and got a Polaroid picture with the monkey because I wanted to bless them with every spiritual blessing. I wanted to bless them in any and every way that I could that day, if just for that one day of our life together. My friends, under the big top of God's kingdom, he has brought us in. He has brought us into this dwelling place. He has brought us into this temple. He is pulling us together, not just as this ragtag circus, but as now the family of God. And on us, he is pouring out every spiritual blessing that we would ever need. Now, here's what I want to say about that before we wrap it up and take our communion. This might be the bad news of it. Maybe the bad news of it for you is that the spiritual blessings that Christ pours out on us are not the blessings of the world. At no point in Ephesians are we going to read, and he will bless you with riches, and he will bless you with fame, and he will bless you with a comfortable life where you will never suffer again. He will bless you to the nations. He will bless you, and if you're sick, you will say a prayer, and you'll instantly get better. And if somebody you love is suffering, say another prayer, and they will be healed. And if you just want something more in your life, ask me. And The spiritual blessings that Christ is offering to pour out on us, unfortunately, perhaps have very little to do with the things of this world. But they have everything to do with eternity and the riches of heaven. I will bless you with salvation. I will bless you with hope. I will bless you with faith. 
I will bless you with fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit. I will bless you with love. I will bless you with joy. I will bless you with peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I will bless you as the body of Christ. I will bless you as you take the good news to all nations. You will suffer. You will be martyred. You may pay the ultimate price, but I will bless you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ. And perhaps that is what communion, more than anything else, points us towards. And so with that, let us turn our attention to the spiritual blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. Tina, you can come on up and get ready to lead us in some worship as we celebrate the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us